Hey, I heard the other day that Seabus are building a new future. What's that all about? Well, Seabus are investing in heaps of new projects, creating thousands of jobs for workers like us. And when you spend your pay at the bakery, you're boosting local business and the economy. Yeah, yeah, okay, I get it, I get it. Come on, I'm starving. Of course you are. <laughs> Seabus, for all of us. To consider if Seabus is right for you, go to seabussuper.com.au for a PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word, story time. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Story time number 32, would you believe? The little weekend show that we thought would go for a couple of weeks has been going for more than half a year. I'm Adam Collins with me, Jeff Lemon. I'm feeling well on holiday in Queensland, which feels ever so indulgent uh, given the state of play around the world. But, hey, that's the way these things have played out. It's been beautiful up here on the Sunshine Coast. By stark contrast, Jeff, you've been in your sickbed all weekend in Melbourne, which is why... This is going out belatedly, but you're feeling good enough to get on the end of the line on a Sunday night and tell some stories. Yeah, I've, I've been pretty wrecked since the day after the Brisbane test, really. But, you know, when you sort of reach the end of the, the series and your body's like, nah, we're done here. But, you know, it's it's okay. It'll get better. And I'll get to do the sultry sort of, I'm very close up on the mic um, with the game <laughs> turned up high today so that, so that everybody can enjoy this huskiness in their ears and just try not to think about the medical byproducts that are making this voice <laughs> the way it is. True commitment to the cause. So if you're relatively new to the final word, you, uh, you're you not going to get a conversation around toasted sandwiches in pockets and the Australian coach and any of that today. That's going to come in the weekly show, which will be out on probably mm-hmm. Wednesday. Uh, this is going to be all about the history of the game and we're going to be talking about the numbers our patrons have sent through. Before coming to that, Jeff, you've actually been at the cricket today. Well, yeah. So I, I it was a beautiful day in Melbourne and once I, like clawed myself out of bed in the middle of the afternoon. I went to watch some pub cricket and and see the, the Dan O'Connell play. We discussed that the, the Dan O'Connell pub has been sold and so these are really the last couple of games for the Dan, as is whether it goes on to another pub and exists in some other form, I don't know. But there's a bit of sadness and, and nostalgia going around and, and maybe that's why a few people weren't able to come. So there were some ring-ins, um, some ring-arounds to get, to get numbers up and by coincidence, not through me, but through someone else, our cameraman, Cameron Fink, was rung in to come and play. Now, Cam's good at sport, but has never played proper organised cricket before. I think he played one match, he told me, in which he got to face two balls and didn't bowl because his shoulder was sore. So he came out, played this game, bowled the third last and last over in in the first innings and then was picked to open the batting, retired on 30, which is as you're supposed to do, and then had to come in at the end after all the wickets had fallen because that's when your retiree comes back, Where, at which point the Dan needed uh, about 70 off three overs or thereabouts. Cam <laughs> proceeds to smoke 87 runs, <laughs> um, including five or six sixes, including one under the roof of the clubhouse, a left-hander going over the long side of the ground. They need 14 off the last over. He gets 13 of them and then nicks off and gets caught behind last ball. Last wicket falls 
it's a tie. It's it's Madras. It's Brisbane sixty one. It's Madras. It's Edgefest, and, and then it's Fairfield, the Dan O'Connell and the Rose Hotel. The Rose, meanwhile, hadn't won a game in three years and finally snapped their losing streak with a tie um, in the most remarkable of circumstances. <laughs> so it was the very best possible of social sport, where <laughs> the people who do not know what they're doing somehow can drive away to to have their day in the sun. Um, and it was it made me feel a lot better. I'll tell you that. Oh, there's a lot to go through there, isn't there? First of all, I'm surprised that Cam hasn't played cricket before. He looks like he's got mm. that that solid centre of gravity that you talk about with uh, with punchy uh, top order batsmen. So uh, I'm glad to see that. Um, not not too blatedly. It's not as though he's. It's too late for him to have some sort of cricket career. But 87 in a losing cause or, or in a tied effort. Actually, my brother mm. was best on ground in the. Uh, in pub cricket last week, playing for the yeah, North, right. Fit, North Fitzroy Arms, I think he's playing for, and uh, Very good. he he came back from retirement and won the game off the last ball, making forty something not out, and having taken wickets <laughs> earlier on. So another final week linked to the uh, Melbourne pub cricket comp this year. Okay, Jeff, with no further ado, you're going to find it hard to get this out, but I'm going to put you to the test. It's time for some. Okay, I'm just going to do this differently. Nerd pledge. <laughs> yeah, baby. Let's explain Nerd what it is. I'll, I'll do some of the heavy lifting for you, given how dodgy you. your voice is. So, Nerd Pledge is where uh, members of our patron community send through a number, uh, dollars and cents to us, which contribute mm-hmm. to keeping the show on the tracks a couple of times a week. But because of a very, very clever man called Phil Meng, all the way back in April 2019, who sent in two for 22, these numbers started coming in that were about cricket instead of like two bucks or five bucks or whatever it is. Suddenly, mm-hmm. they, they related to cricket and we've taken that and ran with it. So our patrons now, they don't have to, but many of them do choose to submit what we call a nerd pledge. And we go through on story time, our nerd pledges, a few new ones, and then we come back to revisit stories where we might not have quite nailed the number in the way that the patron was hoping and, and we try and find a way to get it right the second time around. So the first on our call chart this week though Mm -hmm. Jeff is a very special one from a very special patron an extraordinarily generous one at that who has sent you round the bend uh, a few months ago with a a clue that took about two months to resolve Uh, (laughs) and he's back in the DMs with a a crazy old pledge this week which we're so grateful for which we're not going to answer today but I'm going to get I'm going to let you explain it to begin with. Yes. Well, so the gentleman in question is Rob O'Neill. And when it took me about 93 weeks to solve Rob's nerd pledge, I described him as the Jean Valjean to my Inspector Javert. (laughs) I was determined to get him in the end. And so Rob very generously uh, for a month changed his number to... 24601, which if you're not a Les Miserables um, enthusiast, is the prisoner number that Valjean has tattooed on his body. So $246.01, which is a not, not insignificant pledge. You don't have to send that much money, but Rob decided to because he thought it would be worth the joke and bless him for doing so. 24601 is Rob had to find something that related to this number that he could make work in a cricket context. And so he set me this mission to find it's to do with a current player that has some relationship maybe just spiritually to Mudassar Nazar. Rob's first pledge was about the slowest ever test century. Mudassar Nazar, the Pakistani batsman, made 100 off 500... In 557 minutes, was it? I think it was, yeah. 557 balls. Yeah, I think it was time, 557 minutes. And... 
and, and so there's something related to that um, with a connection to the 557 and a connection to a dusty old bastard, which is which is Adam's specialty, where he finds a, a little-known player from Cricket's past and digs them out. So there's something to go on there, but because I've been spending most of my time just on Flem production for the last few days, and that doesn't mean I'm doing a show with Damien Fleming, that just means the bodily fluid kind. <laughs> I haven't got to the bottom of this, Rob, but I just wanted you to know that I'm thinking of you and that as is our way you and I Rob we can take as long as we want over this we can take our time over this don't you worry yeah an extraordinary pledge which requires an extraordinary effort so Jeff you'll get the chance to revisit that next week but thank you Rob O'Neill for that massive number that one off bonkers number we love you next up Brett Simmons now this is a number which actually comes up in the revisit this week as well 664 Mm. so I should say for the record it can be Six dollars sixty four, six euro sixty four, or six pounds and sixty four pence after Patreon opened up their currency a few months ago. It, it can um, be Canadian dollars now too. We've Canadian, got Canadian dollars. dollars on the line, Adam. Yep. Wow, that's good to know. So four different currencies to choose from. I'm not sure what Brett six six four comes in at, but I do know the clue was a spicy mm. ground for a cricketer who played for two countries. Now, mm. given that we're looking at six six four. Later in the show, as I mentioned, I already know that there's a Sachin Tendulkar link for a couple of reasons to this number. We'll come to those later. We also know that India are the only team to make 664 in an international. That was against mm-hmm. England in 2007, and Sachin played in that game as well. So there's a little bit of Tendulkar stuff around here. Uh, and uh, no player with two countries to their name played in that test, though. So we've got this clue here. It's about a player mm-hmm. that played for two countries. KP is the closest to the pin I suppose given that he played in South Africa at professional level first class level before moving to England but none of that quite yeah. gets us did he there. play did he play age group stuff for South Africa yeah he did he did so I suppose so technically count. it could be but there's no reason why KP in that game would link back to 664 nothing meaningful from him mm. so I'm going to rule all that out I wondered whether the spicy reference might be something to do with tailenders which oh, our yeah. friend Felix White uh, if you're not familiar with that storyline it's to do with the conversation he had with Michael Vaughan at lunch at Lords one day where Michael Vaughan made reference to dinner being a bit too spicy and they've really ran with that joke and it's gone really nice <laughs> for them so much so that every time that Vaughn puts up a, a post on Instagram he's bombarded with the chilli emoji in the comments all day long but the link there is that Mark Chapman who is a presenter on Five Live I believe he still does yep. the Toughest and Vaughn show I Chappers, spoke to him the other day Right, so the other day. So Chappers, uh, you know, Five Live is where the Tailenders program often goes out through that platform. And the other Mark Chapman, who plays for New Zealand, used to play for Hong Kong. So a Mark Chapman, kind of Tailenders link, thus the Mm -hmm. spicy reference, and two countries, NZ and Hong Kong. Now, unlikely. That is some tenuous shit. I admire, I applaud that. That is some deeply tenuous shit. But but the problem there is that there's no 664 reference for Mark Chapman. Trust me, I've looked Mm. into it. So I don't (laughs) think it's going to be... I don't think it's going to be that. And the only other thing that we had in the way of two countries was that 664 is Sam Robson's cap number for England. Sam okay. Robson could have played test cricket for Australia, for he is an Australian. He moved to England.
England as an yep. 18 or 19 year old to take up a contract with Middlesex before getting a mm. chance with England but of course he never played for Australia and I don't think he played age group cricket for Australia either so so I'm kind of all out based on that but mm. Jeff if you, I think you've uh, you've done a bit better well I I, I, I mentioned tenuous tenuous links so have a couple <laughs> have at it here's some tenuous stuff alright Brett Lee in the 2005 Ashes conceded 664 runs in the series took 20 wickets went for quite a few if my maths work out then 78 of those runs must have been conceded against Geraint Jones the England wicketkeeper yes. who played for two countries for PNG um, for Papua New Guinea as well as for England. And in fact, the the bowler that Jones least preferred facing was Brett Lee, who got him out four times in the series. So is it to do with a two-country player, Geraint Jones, getting out to Brett Lee a lot while Brett Lee conceded 664 runs in the 05 Ashes? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. But I had to... I had, look, don't ask, don't get. Now, there is also the 664, as we'll come to later in the show, links heavily to Sachin Tendulkar because it's both the number of international matches that he played and it's the sum of the famous partnership that he put on with Vinod Cambly in school cricket, wasn't it? In, in yeah, that's right. Yep, in the 80s. in their lives. Yep. yep. 664 relates to Tendulkar. John Tracos, who we've mentioned recently on the show, was a two-country player who played for South Africa as a young man and then Zimbabwe 20-plus years later as a much older man. And on debut for Zimbabwe, got Tendulkar out in the test match that they played. So there is a 664 link to a two-country player. Probably not that either. Third what's the What's the what's the Tracos 664? Purely that Tendulkar is oh, closely right. linked to 664 <laughs> because he has two strong 664 links. Yes, yes. And Tracos, a dual national player, got Tendulkar out on debut for Zimbabwe. Which is At some point, we're going to do a Tracos special, by the way. We've mentioned him, yeah. what, six times in the last two months? He deserves yeah. his story to be told in full. Yeah, get on the show, John. We'll, we'll pop it. When we can get over to Perth, we'll dig him up. My third possibility, Adam, I know you're a big fan of a certain Nawab. Ooh. I know that your favourite Nawab, if you had to nominate one, and I know it's a it's tight competition, but the Nawab of Pataudi would definitely be your number one Nawab. Would I be wrong? Better believe it. Tell me more. Yeah. Okay, so the Nawab of Pataudi, as you know, Adam, played for two countries, played for England early on, and then went on to captain India 40 times, which was a record at that point, um, the great early leader, the Nawab of Pataudi. In 2004, Adam, Surav Ganguly equaled this mark of 40 matches captaining India, equaled the Nawab's uh, record of captained matches, and did so at the Chittabaram Stadium in Chennai, formerly Madras, known to Australians for the Tide Test. And on that day, on that same day that Ganguly equaled the dual national, the Nawab of Taudi's captaincy mark, Anil Kumble took a bag of seven wickets, beating his previous best figures at Chennai. Guess what his previous best figures at Chennai were? Six ah, for 64. Very good. Yeah, that's not it either. But I liked the opportunity to... Um, to, to come up with a few very, very tenuous possibilities. So, Brent, look, that's 
th- th- those are our best efforts. And I think at this point, the white flag is raised. But I hope you enjoyed where we took you along the way. I just need to say for the record, the Nawab of Batardi you're talking about, Tiger Batardi, is the mm. son of the Nawab of Batardi that you and I have talked about, oh, about mm. 15 times on the show in the past. But still, it's right. just the same title structure based on the uh, the conventions in India, but a different human Look, being. One one Nawab is much like another, I feel, if you've... If there, there's, there's really only one Nawab. Um, it all it all joins together. The, do you remember Do you remember Bill Laurie, This Is Your Life, from when you were a kid? Did you get that for Christmas in about 97? Mm. That's when that Nawab of Bataldi, Tiger Bataldi, ends up interviewed in, but you know, Billy Birmingham style, and uh, mm. I, I seem to recall him saying, wishing Bill to have a shit night on, on This Is Your Life. <laughs> He goes, fuck you, fuck your country, and I hope you have a shit night. <laughs> I think it's the exact quote. <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you, Billy. Uh, Thank you, Tiger. Thank you, Noabs, past, present, and future. Right. Who knows whether we've uh, got that right, Brent? Uh, we, we probably haven't. We'll probably be back doing 664 again next week in some capacity. Let us know. 364 next up. Right. Okay. This is in pounds from Chris Unwin, but I'm almost certain this is not a new pledge. Okay. So Chris Unwin has submitted 364 in the past in dollars. Okay. And we worked ah. out at the time that it was Mike Watkinson's 3 for 64 on debut at Old Trafford, mm-hmm. Chris's home ground uh, in Lancashire, against the Windies in, in 1995, of course. Watkinson okay. debuted a week before his 34th birthday. Lovely story and so on. And it, we also guessed at the time that it might have been a famous Lancashire partnership, that between Mike Latherton and Neil Fairbrother, who put on 364 at the Oval a couple of years before that, if I recall correctly. However, I think what's happened here is Chris has changed his currency from dollars to pounds. Mm. So I thought this would be a timely opportunity to tell all of our patrons in the UK, per our conversation earlier, if you've got a USD pledge and you now want to move it over to pounds because it's more convenient for you, you can do that. It's actually quite straightforward. Jumping on the the patron page and changing your currency is easier than it might sound, and that might Mm -hmm. be preferable with your banking arrangements. And if it is, you can do what I suspect Chris Unwin has done with his 364. On the other hand, it might be a brand new pledge. I might be adding two and two. (laughs) I might be adding two and two and getting five. If that's the case, Chris... Do let me know. Yes, you can do that in your settings. Um, and you can also, if they're charging you sneaky VAT or whatever, you can just lie and say that you're in Australia or New Zealand or something. But they won't know. They can't. They can't prove it. Prove it, man. You're like El Capone. They'll never bring you down. Um, next is another interesting currency. This one's in euros from Andrew Morton. It's 17 euros and three euro cents. And the 1703... Andrew Morton says, refers to two bowling performances in two different series. Adam, you had a look at this. Yes, I have. A bowling average of 17.03 in a test series. It's happened twice, or it may have happened more than twice, but two noteworthy examples in the 2000s. So the 06-07 Ashes series, Stuart Clark took 26 wickets at 17.03. I think we think about Glenn McGrath and Shane Warne so much with the 06-07 whitewash, but it was Clark who was so consistent in nine of the 10 innings through the series. He picked up two, three or four wickets. So he was super consistent. Of course, you know, he arrived on the scene as a 30-year-old many years after he was first looked at by Australian selectors, but he was a nice little like-for-like with Glenn McGrath for a while there. I think McGrath missed the 06 series in South Africa, if I recall correctly, and Clark gets his opportunity 
his player of the series over there and then plays in that Ashes whitewash of 0607. He finishes up with 94 test wickets in 24 test matches, which is a pretty good return when you consider yeah, he didn't make his debut until he was 30 and played in that famous Ashes series in 0607 and finished up in the 2009 Ashes. And, and these days, Jeff, you occasionally work with him on the ABC. Yeah, that's right, and he's he's still one of those um, disconcertingly tall people. He walks into a room and you're like, oh, Jesus, okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like quite a physical presence, Stuart Clark. So he did have that knack of just banging it on a length and, and doing it again and again. And, yeah, it is interesting that when I think about 06, 07, I kind of just forget that he played a fair bit of the time, which seems unfair. Yeah, and there's another part to this, that his economy rate in that series was 2.27. So it wasn't just that he was taking wickets consistently, but he was giving them kind of nothing. And I remember at Adelaide when England piled on 500-plus in that first innings that Clark was really under-bowled, and he was the only bowler they, they couldn't get away. But anyway, it all worked out in the end. Uh, the other 173 Jeff, you know all about, of course, Harbhajan Singh, 32 wickets, 17.03 in the 2001 series against Australia. I grabbed some data on this from Crick Info, thanks to S. Rajesh, who uh, compiled a piece last year. So he took 32 out of 49 wickets that India claimed in the Mm -hmm. series. Should have been 33, except for the handled the ball bullshit. Steve Ball. Correct. Which was the ball off middle stump and the wicket doesn't go to the bowler. Rude. Which I was just talking about earlier tonight. I'll come to why in a moment. But all the other bowlers that played for India in that series took 17 at 63 collectively. So it gives you a <laughs> sense of how utterly crucial he was to that. So 65.3% of the wickets is the highest percentage by a bowler in a series of three tests or more in the history of test cricket. It's the fourth most amount of wickets taken in a series of three tests. So George Lohman took 35, Sid Barnes 34 and Richard Hadley 33. And of course that series started 20 years ago next month or probably this month when you're listening to it, listening to this ep given it'll go out in February. And if you want to learn more about it, well we've been diving deep into it on the greatest season that was uh, presenting Final Frontier at the moment. We have had on already Adam Gilchrist talking about the Mumbai Test match, Michael Kaspervitz talking about Calcutta, that goes out in a couple of days, and then Funky Miller uh, wrapping things up about the Chennai Test, which I reckon is like in the top five Test matches I've ever seen, maybe even on the podium for top three. So we go into great depth with Funky about that. So if you like your 2001 Australia-India Final Frontier, another podcast on the bad producer label, uh, The Final Frontier. You'll be able to find it. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Is Funky Miller still in Las Vegas? He is, he is. And he's a like he's a lovely man. He, he had a whole different career in in, uh, in the States. He loves American sport. It's an interesting sort of, even talking to him about the blue hair episode, the, the blue hair thing wasn't sort of an exercise in him trying to advance that reputation of him being a bit of a wild renegade. It was kind of a protest from him after he was left out of the one-day squad that series. He was so pissed off. He went to the hairdresser and wanted to... I don't know. It's, just, it's his way of making a statement. And he talks about how he would have loved playing 2020. It, tw- it would have suited him down to the ground being kind of mm. a, a dual threat seam-up and being able to bowl such accurate off-spin. But obviously, he didn't get the chance in his career. And doesn't watch loads of cricket these days unless it's... He, he likes watching young players make their debut 
debut and start off, but he hasn't got sort of much interest in mm. in the modern game. Instead, he's um, got a season ticket for the local WNBL club in Vegas, and he watches the ice hockey religiously. So much so that when um, Adam Gilchrist was in town a couple of years ago in Vegas, they ran into each other at an NHL game. Uh, so mm. um, Gilchrist was trying to get in touch with uh, Funky beforehand and couldn't get his number, and then they just kind of, by happenstance, ran into each other at an ice hockey game. So anyway, that's all on the uh, on the other feed. You can listen to it next couple of weeks. Nice one. Next number, it's a double header. So when the same number comes in from two people, we look at it for both of them in different ways. The number is $2.26 for Abby Sim or £2.26 for Luke Appleton. Abby sent in a clue. Luke did not. You don't have to send in a clue, mind you. There's no, no rule about that. Um, sometimes if you don't, it gives us a blank canvas. And sometimes if you do, it, uh, it can set us off after the number. So there are pros and cons both. Ways. Abby says that her number relates to a cricket match from 2019, historic in more ways than one. Some of our previous Twitter correspondence, she says, is tangentially relevant in terms of the aspect of the game I'm seeking to honour. Most of the correspondence we had with Abby was to do with a number which was 250, which was the two runs from 50 balls that Ben Stokes compiled at the end of day four, day, day three rather, at Headingley, before coming out on day four and doing what we all know that he did. So... It, does it relate to a position in terms of balls faced or something like that? Where did you go with that, Adam? Not very far, and I'm, I'm sorry to report to Abby that I, I couldn't land this. I mean, all I could really get with 226 was that, I mean, Joe Denley's strike rate was 32.26, obviously grasping there. <laughs> when, Pat Cummins, cool. when Pat Cummins was out in the second innings, it was eight for 226. I mean, I don't think really mm-hmm. there's, there's much doing there. I'm sure there actually, is, by the way. Abby, 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 is, Abby is magnificent uh, in terms of uh, solving other nerd pledge numbers for us. So I'm sure that, it's, that, that there's something in it, but I, I just can't quite get my head around it as yet. Well, the eight for 226, it was eight for 226 when... Joffre Archer got out in the World Cup final at Lords. Ah, okay. They scored a single that got Archer on strike and he had a free hit, basically last ball of the over, and got out. And that was when it came down to the point of Rashid and Wood needing to come out and just run for Stokes in the last over. Yes. And, and they ended up drawing level with those two being run out at the non-strikers end. So two different instances of eight for two, two, six in the big games, the heading okay. test in the World Cup final. Mm. It might. It might be that. Abby, do let us know. You know where to find us. The other 226 there, as you mentioned, was from Luke Appleton. So that was in pounds and no clue. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. No sledge. We love you for giving us no clue. As Jeff says, we can then have a frolic. Uh, and I did have a frolic here. Um, even though it was in pounds, I, I thought that I should note that... Uh, Percy Beams uh, made one century in first-class cricket, and that was an unbeaten 226 against Tasmania at the Northern Tasmania Cricket Association ground in Launceston, which is the oldest first-class ground in Australia, I'll have you know, Jeff. But, um, yeah, he's mostly known for his 213 games for Melbourne, Percy Beams, in, the, in VFL at the time, and a hat-trick of premierships between 1939 and 1941 at the start of the Second World War. And by all reports, he was best on ground in, in all three of those. And so he kind of played footy. Then he played first-class cricket, where he made his two two six, as I already mentioned. Uh, and then he went into um, journalism and spent 30 years at the age uh, chronicling a number of sports. And as it happens, in that 
uh, paper that he worked for for so many years. Greg Baum wrote a piece about him yesterday. By pure coincidence, there's a Percy Beams piece uh, that Bormy wrote, so I can uh, recommend taking a look at that. Bormy started this piece by saying, Imagine there was once someone who loved grand finals like Dustin Martin, played cricket like Glenn Maxwell, and had a media career like Caroline Wilson. So a true uh, triple threat, uh, if you like. Um, and these days, of course, there's the Percy Beams bar at the, at the Melbourne Cricket Club, which people often enjoy a beer at. But yes, yeah, so the cricket link to, uh, to 226 for Percy was that he had, yeah, made one first-class 100, a very brisk one at that, and it was against Tasmania in the pre-Sheffield Shield days for, for Tassie, it must be said. But yeah, down there at Launceston after the war. So that was one option. I mentioned that uh, Luke pledged in pounds, so uh, we're assuming he's English, but I doubt that he's talking about the one-day international at the SCG in 2003, where Australia beat England with 226 balls to spare. I'm sure you remember that, Jeff, when Shane Warne made his comeback oh, for the yeah. first final. They bowl out England for 117, and Australia make the 118 in 12.2 overs with Kill Kristen Hayden <laughs> teeing off. And, of course, all the focus was on Warney because, again, I'm sure you remember how fit he looks how svelte he looked when he turned out to play after having injured his shoulder just a couple of months before. And um, and mm. then, yeah, he was instrumental in Australia, bowling out England for 117. But, uh, yeah, the, the only other England link I had here, well, there was Joe Root's 226 at Hamilton against New Zealand later in 2019, so after the Ashes. Fair bit of pressure on, on Joe Root, but he made a sort of hard-fought double ton, took him 441 balls uh, to reach 226. It was sort of a high-scoring, rain-affected draw, and I think that's more likely than it is to be Ewart Astle, who was Leicestershire's off-spinner in the interwar period. <laughs> His cap number mm. was 226. He played nine test matches, but and interestingly, nine test matches, Jeff, but never played an Ashes test and never played a test at home. Mm. So, like anyway. Glenn Maxwell. Yeah, but I suppose, yeah, just like Maxie, but I suppose, yeah, in fact... Alarmingly, like Maxi, nine tests. How many has Maxi played? One, two, seven, I think. seven. And Ewart Astle played nine. But yeah, yes. kind of. So you, you can't really be a dusty old bastard with nine tests. It's just a few too many, I reckon. So I, I was going to dial up the music, dial up Chesney Hawks for that, but mm. I thought instead we'll leave it be. So probably I, I Joe that, Root. Uh, it's it's partly on name though as well. If your name is, I, I, I would pronounce it as Ewart Ewart Astle. If that's your name, you kind of qualify for dusty old bastard anyway. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Next yeah, time, but, look. I, I understand you had the opportunity and you chose not to use it, and I, I applaud that restraint. Sometimes restraint is is required. The other thing that I remember chatting to Abby about was number of matches umpired by certain officials. There was there was a clue involving Nigel Long and and Alim Dar, I reckon. So I wonder if it's to do with umpiring. I might um, I'll have another look at yours, Abby, during the week, and you know you can you can send more clues if you want, but. Um, yeah, we might be able to get there with, you know, once once I can actually breathe again. The last piece I was looking at things that Abby had sent me on Twitter and the one that pops up is she says spotted some graffiti near north Strath near north strathfield on my way to work which read year 213 <laughs> um, <laughs> which which abby suspected may have been one of us <laughs> you know uh, as we pass through sydney the magic number of the final word 213 but it, it was not that um, so 
We are at the end of the 226. We're moving on to another double header. Dominic Bowes in pounds and Mark Stein in dollars with 5.33. There is a clue from Mark who says, it relates to my favourite moment in Australian cricket in what was otherwise a series to forget. One day a year in particular, this moment gets a lot of airtime. <laughs> it can't be anything else, surely, but on his birthday, on his birthday, Peter Siddle. Now, I know he took six wickets in that particular innings, but if you go back and look at it, you realise that one of those happened late in the day and the five for 33 was the figures that Peter Siddle had at the end of the hat-trick once Stuart Broad's wicket had been confirmed by the DRS. Peter Siddle had 5-3-3, which must be Mark's number because, you know, who wouldn't want to remember that? And he does make that point that, you know, if you're an Australian supporter, you try not to really think about the rest of that test match. I'm not sure if we mentioned this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, but Jeff, I'm sure you noticed as well when we were at the Gabba a fortnight ago that they play Peter Siddle's hat trick every day on the big screen at the lunch break. I'm like, you know, if you've got something good, go with it and go with it and go with it again. So we got to enjoy that famous piece of commentary on the big screen there at the Jabber. So thank you, Mark. I'm sure that's right. As for Dom Bowes, I know Dom, and I yeah. just feel as though it's probably an SCG thing. I've drank with Dom at the SCG in the past in my former life. Mm-hmm. He lives in London these days, a London lawyer, but very much a link back to Sydney. So on that basis, well, I had a number of things in mind. Let's say, for example, Shane Warne took five for 33 at the SCG the week after the Michael Bevan miracle, which, you know, theoretically speaking could work I suppose but in the end I went back to 1928 because you know that's what I do and the reason I did that was because 533 has never been made in international cricket so I thought well let's go back to the Sheffield Shields and in 1928 at the SCG uh, there was an innings where New South Wales made 533 where New South Wales had four century makers including Kipax and Oldfield now mm-hmm. As I mentioned, I've been on the beers with Don Bowes before, after days at the SCG, invariably at the Cricketers' Arms. And if you're walking between the SCG through Surrey Hills back to the city, as usually kind of doing at the close of play, you'll end up on Kipak Street in Surrey Hills, which isn't far from the Cricketers' Arms Hotel. So on that basis, I'm going to go with that score from 1928 at the SCG to be Don Bowes' 533 purely due to the link to Kipax. Let us know if I'm right. I'm almost certainly not, but still, I thought it worked. I liked it. I liked anything that, you know, if you can link it geographically, why not? Why shouldn't we be be into this? So that is the end of our new number section. If you want to play Nerd Pledge, it's very easy. Go to patreon.com slash the final word. You sign up for an account, you choose what you want to send and we put it on our list and come back to it through the show. And sometimes we come back to it again and again if we have to. George Normans is a number, the first of our revisits, one that we've looked at a lot. And basically, George, this is our fault. We've dogged this because initially you told us that it wasn't a score. 102 but it was related to women's cricket and then as we went on not getting it in weeks to come we ended up getting a message from you that said it's just straight 102 you know no no messing about with the number but we forgot that it wasn't a score so then we were trying to find scores Um, so this is all our fault but what it has come down to is in the wash in the end we have learned it's the number of stumpings made by Sarah Taylor 
in in international cricket all up. Yes. Um, so total stumpings, which is more significant than catches in a way because Sarah Taylor was such an artist keeping up to the stumps, which you know comes into the game so much more in women's cricket where you have to be able to keep up to medium pace and to spin and to be able to deal with both. And Sarah Taylor was had, had such magic touch, keeping taking balls way down the leg side, getting stumpings from almost off-the-cut strip at times and, and being able to get back and was such a, a remarkable uh, operator with the gloves. Yep, she was no sandwich artist. She was a stumping artist. Sarah Taylor, <laughs> what a gem. The best there was, the best we've certainly seen in a long time behind the stumps. So that's George Norman. Thank you for that. Next up is Shannon Blackmore, the other 664 that we said we'd revisit today. Now, let's work through this. The clue related to the fact that his earlier pledge was 145 and, and it links back to his childhood. So... Thanks to Dave Brown, really, we got there eventually. So Dino makes 145 at the Gabba in 1990. We've talked about that a lot in recent times. 664 also relates to the Gabba, so a tangential link as it is, because that's what Queensland made in the first innings of the Sheffield Shield final of 1994-95. So, again, there was a Warney link in there as well, and 94-95 is when Warney took his hat-trick at the MCG. I think somehow we guessed that uh, on a previous Attempts, but in any case, Trevor Barsby and Martin Love both make centuries in Queensland's 664. They win by an innings and 101 runs. The drought was over at the Gabba when they held the shield aloft for the first time. So, Shannon Blackmore, I'm tipping you were there watching Queensland win as a kid. Uh, and yes, yeah, 664, their big first inning score was the reason it was possible. That sounds very, very much on the money, Adam, because uh, because Shannon did mention, you know, I think six six for sixty four was what Warren took at the MCG. Oh, Shannon that's right. Said, that's right. Shannon said he wouldn't have been able to travel to Melbourne at that time, so would have been in Brisbane. It makes sense. Queensland's win after what sixty years without winning a Sheffield Shield title and they got there and it didn't relate to the Sachin Tendulkar 664 numbers that we mentioned earlier with the number of international matches he played, the partnership. And I found another one actually, which is that, you know, Sachin Tendulkar made a lot of runs at the SCG, you will recall, Mm. Adam. In his first four test matches, made three tonnes, all of them unbeaten, one of them a double, plus a 60 not out. Um, Only had three scores under 50 in those first four games. And his last game did pretty well as well, made 40-odd and 80, I think, in his last test in 2012. But the really big performing test matches, those first four tests, those first four tours, Sachin made 664 runs at the SCG. And his average at the SCG to this day, 157 per dismissal, if you don't mind. (laughs) Thank you for all of the messages we got about 664, by the way. I, I referenced Dave Brown, but also Toby or Bat Manual, as he is on Twitter. That's where we got the information about Cambly and Tendulka and the international appearances and all the rest. So thank you for pretty much anyone who jumps on the Patreon page and wants to give us a suggestion or point us in the right direction. It's all appreciated because often it can be that bit of intel which informs where we actually get to when solving these after a while. That was certainly the case for our next number, Jeff, which has been... Epic to say the least. Jeremy Burke, 600. You've done so much work on working out what each of these clues have represented, and we were one player short. 
and we received mm-hmm. a number of messages. I'm going to get you to explain it and explain who helped us as well before revealing what did 600 mean in the context of Australian leg spinners over the years. Yeah, there were a range of clues, was it six or seven, that all related to Australian leg spinners of varying degrees of ability, including Benno and Bradman, who bowled some leg spin. And there was one that there was one that I couldn't get because it involved a leg spinner known for one ball on tour, and eventually some people realised that was to do with batting rather than bowling and that Jim Higgs faced one ball on the 1975 Ashes Tour. Shane Brown let us know that. Pat Rogers added that he got out to that ball as well. He was bowled at Leicestershire in a tour game, the one ball that he faced on the tour. But he did end up taking 66 test wickets. And so when you added the test wickets of all of those leg spinners together, you got to 611. And Jeremy Burke had mentioned hinting that it involved a cricketer who we had a negative opinion of, which suggested to me that we had to subtract that cricketer. And uh, as, as Jeremy himself eventually came through to explain, who took 11 wickets for Australia? Who, who stole 11 wickets for <laughs> Australia, I should say? Frank fucking Ward. Frank <laughs> Ward. I could do that even better with my voice the way it is at the moment. So Frank Ward pinched 11 wickets when stealing Clary Grumet's spot in the test team. And so if you subtract those 11 wickets from the others, from the 611, you end up with 600, which was Jeremy's original reverse-engineered pledge. Although, as as Jeremy points out, if, if he had realised that Frank Ward's batting average was an even six, then he could have made it far simpler for all of us. Um, but <laughs> I think so that came said, in, didn't it? I think someone sent in that Frank Ward's yeah. batting average was an even six a, a couple of weeks ago and we went through this. So, Jeremy says, all he can say, having listened to all of our toing and throwing with this is cue the music from Billy Joel please you may be right I may be crazy and fair (laughs) enough Jeremy for making us run around in circles like that you are our CBUS super performer of the weekend and why not Adam yeah, indeed. Uh, cbussuper.com.au uh, forward slash the final word is where you can learn more information about CBUS. Don't throw away your innings in retirement. Visit cbussuper.com.au forward slash the final word and learn more about your superannuation. Perhaps 2021 is the year you might want to get your act together when it comes to super. And why not? The good people at CBUS will help you along. Of course, past performance is no reliable indicator of future performance. And if you want to get more information by way of a PDS, you can do that at cbussuper.com.au Indeed uh, James Ralston's 122 we were looking at a partnership between David Warner and Aaron Finch after which David Warner went on to make a quick 100 at the Adelaide Oval this was this was supposed to be a, a good batting performance at the Adelaide Oval in the last 10 years James said it wasn't Warner a further clue is that it was a champagne moment Adam yeah, so I was thinking Marnus when I heard that, you know, like that Marnus Labashane, Marnus Labashampagne type thing. I mean, oh, yeah. that, that's where I first started. Uh, and of course, I'm watching made... him right now as we speak. I'm watching the oh, Brisbane God. Heat. Is he play batting the or Thunder. bowling he's or batting. eating? He's, he's been bowling. He bowled quite well, but he's batting. He's 15 not out at the moment in the run chase, but he did bowl quite nicely earlier. Good on your money. Uh, so, uh, but then I, I immediately moved off that and thought, no, it's not, it's not going to be Marnus Labashane Champagne. I thought Dougie Bollinger played a test match at Adelaide Oval in the last decade. Not 
quite in the last decade. It was December 2010, but over the last you know decade of summers, you could broadly say, but that didn't quite fit either really I mean Kevin Peterson uh, I was wondering like 122 Peterson struck 138 runs in boundaries many of them were off Doug Bollinger but not 122 runs of those mm. and uh, so that that didn't quite work Alistair Cook struck 72 runs in boundaries in his century in that test too but then I kept sort of going through it champagne what does that reflect New Year's Eve Travis Head Travis Head's New Year's Eve century in mm-hmm. what would have been New Year's Eve of 2015. 101 not out from 53 deliveries. A hat-trick of sixes to bring up the century and win the game with three balls to spare. So he didn't make 122. Uh, so I couldn't quite string together what the 122 means. I think well, I think you have, Jeff, but that's certainly it. And the only other bit that I had on 122 is that South Australia had been playing first-class cricket for 122 years when Travis Head was appointed their youngest captain. So that's a tangential uh, link between the two. But as I say, I think you've squared the circle on this. That's not bad. Um, The 122 years thing, I like that. If that's just a a link to Travis Head. What I realised was that um, during that famous game, probably maybe the only famous Big Bash game um, with Travis Head making (laughs) the 100 on New Year's Eve, it's a run chase. They are on 122 after 16 overs and that's a point where Alex Ross gets out and it's in those last four overs that the real show begins so from the point where um, they're on 122 chasing 170 whatever it was Travis Head then takes 45 runs from nine balls from Sean Abbott across a couple of overs and in between takes 11 runs from Doug Bollinger. Ah there we go okay. So Adil Rashid batting with him faces one ball in the partnership and makes two runs from it. But that's the point. Those last four overs are when they go through the roof and they're 122 at that stage with Bollinger thrown into the mix. So that's my punt, James. Um, If not, white flag up. uh, Let us know what the answer is because if we can't get it from here, we can't get it. No, no, no. That's right. Uh, that, That has to be it. Uh, that has to be it. The champagne moment, the New Year's Eve, the, the Doug Bollinger involvement, the 122, it's, it's it. I'm sure of it, Jeff. All right. I appreciate your support. Our next uh, revisit is the 187 from Simon Trafford. I pointed to the 187 runs in the match that Jeff Boycott made after running out Derek Randall. Yes, and Simon got in touch to, uh, to thank you for that, and he enjoyed it. A great deal. Uh, it was the first time he'd seen a live Ashes test, Simon, in 1977 there at his home ground in, in Nottingham where Boycott made 107 and 80. Just to segue off this for a moment, though, because it's, it's not related to that, as we later learn from Simon. Messi Jez, our old mate from Gorilla Cricket and all the rest, and a, a, a fine uh, patron as well, uh, wanted to just talk about the tragedy element of this. So I made reference to Richie Benno's commentary on television on the BBC, describing it as a tragedy. Well, Messi Jez wanted to, to correct me and say that on comms of that infamous run out with boycott, it was actually John Arlett. Now, that's it's true as well. John Arlett also describes it as a tragedy. And now that I think about it, when making Calling the Shots last year, I think we used the Arlett commentary. Thompson comes in, bowls the boy up, boy up, pushes that. There must be a run out here. Oh, how tragic. How tragic, how tragic, how tragic. 
World Service. We welcome World Service with the news that Randall has just this minute been sacrificially run out and England are 52 for three. So yes, Jeff. In terms of the commentary, Benno and Arlett, perhaps two the two greatest of all time, used the yeah. same adjective to describe Randall being barbecued by boycott. Can I look? I don't want to torch any sacred cows here, but um, I don't think that commentary was very good. I didn't have a clue what had actually happened. They didn't describe what had happened um, <laughs> until about four minutes after it had happened that that he pushed the ball. They didn't actually say he'd driven the ball back to the bowler. They just said, right. "Oh, there's been a run out." There's been a, like, how? What sort of run out? From where? Who picked it up? Who fielded it? You know, the whole tell people the action thing. Yeah, wasn't wasn't into it. Not a fan. Jeff slaughtering sacred cows. Maybe that's a, another podcast genre for another time. But back to Simon. So he goes on to add that it wasn't the intended innings. He wanted us instead to look at a domestic innings that came 40 years to the month later. And in the end, that was quite straightforward because, of course, Alex Hales in July 2017, so 40 years after that run out, made 187 not out from 167 balls to win the Royal London Cup for uh, Nottingham there at Lords. They were chasing down uh, the 297 that Surrey made, which looked pretty safe, it must be said, but Hales was relentless at the top of the list and they won with 15 balls to spare by four wickets and... I think at that particular point in time, I was saying they should take that Alex Hales to the ashes and bat him at number six and see what happens and never quite played out and he's never been seen in test cricket since and indeed seldom been seen in, in white ball cricket. Uh, well, I suppose he played a fair bit between 2017 and 2018, 2019, but certainly not in the last couple of years. And I note, by the way, Jeff, we just received some correspondence on Twitter no more than an hour before hitting record on this podcast that Alex Hales, would you know, is a supporter of the Mancad. I did see that. I think Anthony Radford brought it to our attention that uh, that Alex Hales uh, says that his unpopular cricketing opinion is that man-catting's fine, especially in T20s or some version of that. So I like the idea that Alex Hales is a fellow traveller. He's probably batting in the game you're watching on the Big Bash right now, Jeff. Uh, probably well previously would previously have for the for the Sydney Thunder they're currently two for thirty nine if you're wondering as we, we <laughs> do live commentary on our podcast just a neat little drive down the ground from Manus to go on to twenty so the thing with Simon Trafford is that there are a bunch of Simon Trafford numbers going around because there was one a while ago that we had revisiting for a bit and then he changed it and then. He changed it again, but that became a double header and thus got brought up the list. And mm. so on the day that we're revisiting Simon Trafford's 187, we also have to revisit Simon's <laughs> 175, <laughs> um, which was to... Look, there were a few things about Ranjit Sinji and Yunus Khan with that 175, and, and Simon wrote to say, I seem to have my own backlog of numbers, courtesy of duplicate pledge number 175. Adam had an inkling about it being a progression from 174, which it is, but from the Nottinghamshire stable. So Simon's earliest number back in the day was 174, which was about a score that Derek Randall made in the centenary test. Yep. And for Simon to have a not equivalent to this, it must be Tim Robinson, who whose highest test score was 175 at Headingley mm-hmm. during the 85 Ashes, a, a sort of correct opening batsman who played a handful of test matches, but less than 20 wasn't 
necessarily around for that long in test cricket but played 374 games for knots and made 55 tonnes for the county. Later went on to become a rebel tourist which was popular for England yeah. cricketers at the time um, and then an international umpire and, and debuted in ODIs in, in 2013. So that... Is that should be all of Simon's numbers dealt with? Let us have no more Simon Trafford numbers <laughs> until there is a new Simon Trafford number. There will always be another Simon Trafford number. One eight seven one seven five. They're all done. Jeff, uh, we've already given away the Seabus the Super Performer uh, of the Week to Jeremy Burke for his incredible set of clues that brought up 600. Last week, our Seabus Super Performer of the Week, well, let's call it the Seabus Super Performer of the Weekend, uh, was Andrew Beach. Now, the reason we gave it to him was his clue was too good, it was too hard, and we kind of shouldered arms and said we can get bits and pieces of this but we have no idea how we're going to thread it together but during the week predictably our extraordinary final word community have done it for us yes so the number was one euro and 60 euro cents the currency was chosen deliberately we correctly deduced that the currency meant that it had something to do with ireland Uh, it was also supposed to be related to a consociational government, which is a form of government in which uh, various groups are represented relatively equally and consensus has to be found, which describes the government of Northern Ireland. It involved a dual national player and something about a president. And so, as we started to track this down, this involved... A 160 that Ed Joyce made for Ireland, uh, Ed Joyce being a dual national player, but how did it relate to this particular presidential crisis at Stormont, which is where the Northern Irish government sits in Belfast? Yeah, this was so good. So the consociational government, presidential fiasco, a dual national uh, in Euros, the way it works is that in 2016, and I must admit, Jeff, I'd never seen this before, which I'm surprised in mm. hindsight. Andrew kindly linked me to an article and then some vision was sent through as well to give me a handle on what actually happened. So basically, Nabi, Mohammed Nabi for Afghanistan, is all the way over the rope. And by all the way over the rope, I mean like his whole body is yep. over the boundary line when he's dragging in a shot played by Ed Joyce and he throws the ball in and they run Ed Joyce out. And it is fairly scandalous. I mean, it's gamesmanship <laughs> turned up to 11 type thing here that Nabi didn't see fit to mention the fact that he was only taking the piss. The umpires, of course, without the benefit of technology in this particular game at Stormont, had no choice but to give, I suppose, Joyce out, I suppose, if they're taking the word of the fielder, which is the, the convention with these things when there's no technology. Um, even though it must be said that anyone paying attention could surely have seen him over the boundary. The photographer, uh, well, not the photographer, the media manager for Ireland at the time took, just happened to take a photo exactly where it was. He was standing on the boundary rope and, and gets this shot at deep extra cover of the Joyce boundary and Nabi being over the line. It creates somewhat of an international incident. Joyce is out, and in the next game, also at Stormont, Joyce responds in the best possible fashion by making a match-winning 160, uh, which is why uh, that is the number that's been selected. But it relates to this fiasco, presidential fiasco, of course, Nabi, known as the president uh, around the mm-hmm. T20 world, the Afghanistan hero. But he wasn't a hero on that day. He was a, he was a pretty naughty boy, to be perfectly honest with you. But um, yes, 160 for 
for Andrew Beach and he, well, he solved it for us, but uh, we had a couple of other emails come through as well, including one from Greg Sykes who noted that it was only a couple of weeks after the Brexit vote, which also throws in an extra um, point of interest <laughs> given it was in Northern Ireland and Stormont and, and all the rest. So uh, we got there in the end. Uh, thank you, Andrew Beach. That was just brilliant. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's I, I wasn't familiar with it either, but it is pure shithouse like he's he's literally on all fours outside the boundary <laughs> rope reaching over it to push the ball away from the rope so how anyone didn't see it I don't know but yeah the fact that he was like no no it was cool yeah absolutely saved it it is interesting to me that I find that funny whereas if an Australian player did it it would be the like a never ending storm for oh yeah for years to come I mean, oh yeah the- you, you don't want to you don't want to sort of impugn characters of, of you know professional cricketers where you can avoid it but that was about as dodgy as it comes from especially <laughs> in a game where there's no cameras like if you yeah. you know if, you, if you're playing by the old code as it were you just can't do that but i suppose <laughs> you could forgive him on the basis that the majority of games that nabi plays would have the full camera set up and third umpires and so on but this clearly didn't yeah, well, I guess at that time uh, there would have been a lot of games he played that didn't. and Maybe it was just a matter of, well, whatever you can get away with, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, apparently the, the the reports at the time were that he thought it was quite amusing and was enjoying himself that, that they'd thrown <laughs> the ball back in and got the run out. So, you know, there, there, was, there was not a lot of regret being shown, put it that way. A revisit from Peter Halton who uh, said we were spot on with picking Luke Wright's best T20 international bowling two for 24 which Peter had picked at his nerd pledge one of my favorite cricketers he says and I remain a little disappointed that he didn't have a longer international career watching him and Ravi Bapara bat together during the blast felt pleasantly nostalgic also thanks for consistently keeping the podcast up for the last year Uh, like many people who've had struggles with my mental health the year has been pretty shit as I try to write my PhD and teach seminars from a study bedroom last summer I greatly missed being able to walk along the seafront to Hove and spend many afternoons watching Sussex be pretty good with the ball, uh, watching Ollie Robinson take eight for 34 against Middlesex, a highlight, and also pretty poor with the bat. Having a twice-weekly dose of cricket chat has been a reassuring constant during this time. Well, Peter, thank you for the message, and we're very glad that we could be that for you while talking the absolute shit that we enjoy <laughs> talking to keep ourselves entertained. Uh, our next confirmations from Tim Vanderpump, the party liaison. Uh, we guessed his 213 final where magic number might be. I can't remember why, but I think we thought the 17,213 runs that Clem Hill made in mm-hmm. first-class cricket could be... In fact, I think he said it was a Clem Hill link and we went 17213, yep. which Tim confirmed was partially correct in that that's one of the reasons he was pointing towards uh, Clem Hill for for 213. The other was that Clem Hill's batting average was 39.21, so 213 could also be found in there. He described it as a numeric anagram of sorts for the two bits and pieces. Uh, well, there, that is so. tenuous, Tim. That is getting, that's a real stretch <laughs> at this point, buddy. Uh, but we do, we do love corresponding with Tim, so I'm sure he'll update his pledge soon and we'll have some fun there. And back to Tim, he had one more link to Clem Hill with 213 as well, Jeff, of course. Uh, and that's a, a test match that he played in in 1905, an Ashes test match in 1905 where England won by 213 runs at Trent Bridge, the ground we were talking about uh, in relation to Simon Trafford a couple of minutes ago. Clem made 54 runs in the first innings, but he wanted to note the very handy batting card. Trumper, Hill, Noble, Armstrong and Darling. Well, yes, that is very strong. And the party liaison has done it again.
Thank you, Tim. Michael Edelstein uh, confirms that his 679 was the best test bowling of Pat Pocock. Quite an entertaining message from Michael who said, I'm happy to confirm you got my number, but I had my head in my hands as you started to describe your rationale as I inadvertently almost sent you down a rabbit hole. It was pure luck or your genius that led you to Wales. Pat Pocock was from Wales um, due to Michael referring to the UK. As an Englishman, he says, I'm used to trying not to say England and specifically referring to the UK so as not to leave others out. If Pat Pocock had not been Welsh, I hate to think where it would gone, <laughs> uh, where it would have gone. His 6 for 79 was before I was born, but I did see him playing for Surrey where he was a legendary character and helped grow my love of spin bowling. Now I can change my number and we'll look forward to hearing it in a few months. Loving the recent episodes. They're going from strength to strength. Very kind of you, Michael, and I'm Fantastic. glad that we got some Pat Pocock memories for you. There's also another interesting side note that Chris Arkell has uh, in relation to this. So he says that when Jeff was talking about the Pat Pocock uh, seven wickets in 11 balls in 1972, when Jeff was listing the wickets, he mentioned Gordon Greenwich as one of the Sussex players. Well, actually, as Chris points out, it was, it was Jeff Greenwich who played five test matches for the West Indies in the 1970s. And he was the last white player to turn out for the West Indies until Josh De Silva, who played a test in New Zealand before Christmas. So uh, a little, hmm. little, uh, little bonus bauble there from Chris Arkell on the Michael Edelstein pledge. So thank you for that. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, I just looked at the uh, scorecard and saw G Greenwich and thought that uh, yeah, made, <laughs> made the assumption. Jeff Greenwich just sounds like the name that I would have made up if I were having to invent an identity in the middle of that clue. You know, if someone <laughs> had walked in and said, what are you doing here? Who are you? I'm Jeff Greenwich. Yes, that's me. Um, so I'm glad that you picked up on that. Thank you, Chris. We're into the correspondence section uh, of Storytime. We're into the final stretch here. The first piece of correspondence is from Julie Sorby, who has been with us, Jeff, since the very start. I had a look. She joined up to Patreon back in the March of 2019, where she's been a Julio from the get-go. And now she's become a nerd. She goes on to explain why. Long time Julio, first time messenger, she says. I love your work. I've been listening since you've been podcasting on ABC Grandstand. And it's so wonderful to see the show evolve. I wrote back to her and said, you were one of about four or five people that heard us on ABC Grandstand. We were promoted... There were were triceratopses walking past the window when we were recording those shows. We were promoted so poorly on there and so few people in the organisation we knew existed. It's a minor miracle that you found us. But thank you, Julie. You should be so proud of the work you do. That's very kind of you. Uh, And she's uh, thrilled about the last couple of interviews, uh, the quality of those. So again, that's really lovely. She says that, I've just listened to the latest set where you teased us with the idea of doing a daily show for the India-England series. I would absolutely love this, and I'm increasing my pledge to show support for this idea. Well, lo and behold, Julie, I can confirm that this Friday, the India Daily will return. Every day of the India-England test series in India, there'll be Jeff, there will be me. I expect there'll be Cam Fink as well. We'll be shooting it mm-hmm. um, throughout the course of the series. It'll be going on YouTube. It'll be going on the podcast feed. And we can't bloody wait. Why not? I mean, we liked talking about cricket every day when we were watching it every day. So when we're going to be able to watch it every day again, we will talk about it again. That's, that's how the daily works. That's my understanding. 
And there was a little PS here from Julie as well saying that whilst we'd never met, I saw your name on a lot of briefs to the Prime Minister's office when you were an advisor to Prime Minister Rudd and I was a junior economic analyst at PMNC. We also share a mutual friend in Louise Crossman who I play hockey with. That happens to be one of our patrons who, Jeff, you slept on her couch when we were in Canberra a couple of years ago. I so did. It all- I mean, I've <laughs> slept on a lot of people's couches over the last 10 years. Um, if, you'd, if you'd like me to sleep on your couch, drop me a message. I'm always up for it. Fantastic final work so thank you to Julie Sorby for being there from the start, uh, becoming a nerd and for inspiring us. You didn't really inspire us through the India Daily for India England. We were going to do it anyway, but it's nice that that was the catalyst to, to tip you over the edge and update mm-hmm. your pledge. And uh, our last bit of correspondence, a thought exercise of sorts from Matt Gaynor, who said that following the astonishing Indian win um, by, by the Indian version of the Borthwick Rankin team, as he describes it, Matt has tried to map what an England team would have looked like with similar injuries. So this is his thought process. As um, Ishant Sharma and Bhavnesh Wakumar never made the tour, I'm taking Broad and Anderson out of the England starting team as equivalent most experienced bowlers. So England would start with Burns, Sibley, Crawley, Root, Pope, Stokes, Butler, Bess, Wokes, Archer, Wood. After the first test, Coley and Muhammad Shami go, so you get rid of Joe Root and get rid of Mark Wood and Dan Lawrence and Ollie Stone come in. They also dropped Sahar and Prithvi Shaw, so you get rid of Butler and Sibley. That brings in Bairstow and then struggling to work out next opener, says Matt, so Hasib Hamid is back. After the second test, India lose Umesh Yadav, so that's uh, Overton in for Wokes, and they dropped Agarwal, so Burns is out for Jason Roy as an ODI <laughs> replacement for Rohit Sharma. Um, after the third test, you get rid of Vahari, Jadeja, Ashwin and Bumra, so that's Pope, Stokes as an all-rounder, Bess and Archer to be replaced by returning Burns in the middle order, Sam Curran as an all-rounder, Tom Curran and Briggs as ODI players like Shadal Thakur and Natarajan. PS says Matt, Kale Rahul was already gone, so that denies a replacement opener. So, in fact, Haseeb Hamid is gone and Keaton Jennings is back. Pandya is also unavailable, so Sam Curran disappears and he's replaced by, let's say, Ravi. So, in the end, the England team reads Jennings and Roy to open, Crawley at three with Dan Lawrence at four, Bairstow at five, Rory Burns at six, Ravi Bapara at seven, Tom Curran, Danny Briggs, uh, Craig Overton and Ollie Stone to round oh. things out. I don't think that team is winning at the Gabba is how Matt concludes his email. <laughs> Thank you, Matt Gaynor. That was a, a brilliant piece of correspondence and that's a very nice place for us to put a full stop on our conversation today. For all of our new nerds and new Julios, there's been quite a few of you uh, jump on the Patreon page since, especially the Marcus Stoinis interview two weeks ago. Thank you so much from both of us for doing that. The fact that we were able to make so much final word in 2020 through the worst of COVID, I suppose, and more of it uh, towards the end of the year was purely a function of the amazing support uh, we received on that platform. So if you're new to it, thank you so much. If you want to get involved, patreon.com forward slash the final word, popular nerd pledge. We love telling these stories. We love the game of cricket. The great game of cricket, as Michael Clark would say. And we're going to be back uh, throughout the week with uh, a weekly show, which will probably come out Wednesday, where we will talk about a number of things, including hosted sandwiches, including mm. Pakistan beating South Africa, including India hosting England and a bunch of other stuff, maybe even the Big Bash if we're feeling particularly fruity. And 
And mm. Jeff, until then, get well. I, by Thank that you. point, will be back in Victoria so we can do that one together. And I can't wait. Yeah. Let's do it in a room. And can we do, maybe let's just do four hours on Pakistan, South Africa. Because, you know, God, I enjoyed that. Yeah, as did I. This has been the Final Word Story Time. Thank you so much to Bad Producer Productions for making our show. Edited by Dave Collins, Astrid Edwards and Jay Mueller, who put the show together each week. Uh, thank you to Seabus Super, who've been our fine supporters. And if you want to be a supporter of Storytime, you might note we didn't have an ad this week. That's because we don't have a sponsor this week. And that's fine. That's cool. We love making the show. But if you want to be associated with the Final Word Storytime through 2021, no better time than now. Final Word Cricket at gmail.com. Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, signing off. Talk to you during the week. Ciao, Bella. I had to go about it.